Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake files her first lawsuit against Maricopa County. We bring you the latest on election troubles and results. Congress facing a long to-do list in the final weeks of the year. What's up next on the Hill and what President Biden says today about his plans for gun control. Relying on China for energy used in the U.S. We hear from an expert who warns about investing in rare earth mineral mines partially owned by China. A former attorney connects with a women's network inside China. She's helping them to support women who are facing pressure to abort their babies. Hundreds of people lined the streets of New York City today to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. NTD was on the ground. We'll take you there. Election troubles continue to unfold in Arizona. Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake just filed her first lawsuit against Maricopa County over how they ran their elections. Arizona Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake on Wednesday filed a lawsuit against Maricopa County's recorder, election officials, and members of the Board of Supervisors. In an interview on Steve Bannon's War Room, Lake said Maricopa County ran the shoddiest election ever in history. We're on a timeline, a very strict timeline when it comes to fighting this botched election. And they're dragging their feet. They don't want to give us the information, so we're asking the courts to force them to give us information. In the lawsuit, Lake said there were widespread issues on election day. She's asking the Arizona Superior Court to compel the officials to produce records on the administration of the midterm. Lake said, quote, given instances of misprinted ballots, the commingling of counted and uncounted ballots, and long lines discouraging people from voting, as demonstrated in the attached declarations, these records are necessary for plaintiffs to determine the full extent of the problems identified and their impacts on electors. Also on Wednesday, Arizona's outgoing Republican Governor Doug Ducey congratulated Democrat Katie Hobbs, who declared victory in the race for governor. Ducey said he will fully cooperate with the leadership transition. Lake, meanwhile, warned against certifying the election results. This is just beyond 2020. I mean, what they did in 2020, it looks like they've done that again and then some. And for the governor, if he says he's going to certify this and Katie Hobbs to certify this, I think they really better think long and hard. The Republican candidate for Arizona Attorney General Abe Hamaday also filed his own lawsuit against Maricopa County election officials on Tuesday. He said that widespread errors and inaccuracies cause voter disenfranchisement. The Arizona Attorney General race is headed to a recount. Only 510 votes separate Hamaday and his Democratic opponent. And over in Alaska, the state has finally finished its ranked choice election process. Incumbent Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski defeated Trump-backed Kelly Shibaka. Murkowski was one of seven Senate Republicans who voted to impeach former President Trump. And Democratic Congresswoman Mary Paltola defeated Trump-backed Sarah Palin. This was Alaska's first general election using the ranked choice system. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Thanksgiving is here, but it's only a short break for lawmakers. Congress is facing a packed schedule in the last weeks of the year. NTD's Iris Tao has more on what's next. Lawmakers are facing a jam-packed to-do list in the lame duck session. The primary focus is on the government funding bill, which has to be passed before current funding runs out on December 16th. 
And upon coming back on Monday, the Senate will hold its next procedural vote on a bill that will make same-sex marriage a federal right. Senate Democrats are moving fast to try to pass it before the next Congress, as a Republican-controlled House will be unlikely to take up the issue. And on the House side, House Democrats are holding their leadership elections next Wednesday, and they'll decide who's succeeding Nancy Pelosi as party leader. Here's top candidate Congressman Hakeem Jeffries from New York. We will fiercely uh, and vigorously oppose any attempts at Republican overreach. Moving on to the White House, President Biden, who's in Nantucket, Massachusetts for Thanksgiving, tells reporters he'll try to pass a bill to ban semi-automatic guns, potentially before the next Congress forms. The idea we still allow semi-automatic weapons to be purchased is sick. It's just sick. It has no, no social redeeming value. Zero. None. And he's got another item on his to-do list, completing his annual physical. The 80-year-old president said today that he's gotten part of it done and will finish the rest before the end of the year. The results will then be released to the public, though the White House wouldn't say if that's coming before or after Biden announces his plan for 2024. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. The U.S. is looking to invest in rare earth mineral mines in Canada, partially owned by Chinese companies. The minerals are needed to produce so-called clean energy. NTD spoke with an expert who criticizes the White House for not choosing American mines instead. Rare earth minerals. They are used for a variety of things, from computer chips to fighter jets. Earlier this year, President Biden signed into law a Cold War-era Defense Production Act, saying the United States depends on unreliable foreign sources for rare earth minerals, and that demand for such materials is projected to increase exponentially as the world transitions to a clean energy economy. With this measure, Congress allocated over a billion dollars to increase domestic mining of rare earth minerals. They will be used to make things like wind turbines, solar panels, and car batteries, which produce so-called clean energy. But according to a White House report from June, Canadian mines are also considered domestic, and that's where Chinese involvement comes into play. Earlier this month, Bloomberg reported that Chinese firms have been involved in 89 announced acquisitions and investments in Canadian metals and mining companies in the past decade, and that the value of those transactions is $14 billion. It doesn't help our coffers to get Canadian and Chinese companies rich. Dave Wallace is the president of the Fair Energy Foundation. He says that American jobs are being left on the line by investing in Canadian mines instead of American ones. Fox 9 Minneapolis in August reported that a local copper-nickel mine sued the Biden administration for allegedly canceling the company's lease illegally. The Biden administration previously defended its stance on domestic energy production by saying they provide permits to many domestic mines. Wallace says it's more complicated than that. They need to get approvals once the permit is offered, tendered, and instead they're getting denials and they continue to say, we will get back to you. Wallace says transitioning to so-called clean energy will make the U.S. dependent on its adversaries. This is because the U.S. doesn't have a lot of rare earth minerals, but China does. He compared the situation to Europe, where countries built a reliance on energy from Russia and that it is now backfiring on them. Germany is falling flat on its face right now. We do not want to, in learning from history, we do not want to be put into that same position. We reached out to the Biden administration for comment, but didn't hear back before airtime. 
Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. China is expanding lockdowns as it sees a surge in COVID cases. The communist regime uses extreme policies to stop the spread. They call one of their tactics closed-loop management. That's when employees live in the workplace with no outside contact. This week, police were seen beating workers who were protesting from a factory that assembles Apple iPhones. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the situation in China. Workers from Foxconn, Apple's iPhone assembly factory in Zhengzhou, China, protested this week. The factory is Apple's largest iPhone assembly factory in the world. It produces roughly half of Apple's global iPhone supply. Videos show thousands of people facing rows of police in hazmat suits with riot shields. Police were filmed beating protesters with clubs and kicks outside the factory. One person was struck repeatedly after he tried to grab away a metal pole that he was hit with. Foxconn recently offered higher pay to attract more workers. Employees say they were promised a recruitment bonus. Many traveled from afar to take jobs at the factory. They say when they arrived, the company changed the terms, telling them they needed to work two additional months at lower pay to receive the bonus. Foxconn says it has always fulfilled its contractual obligation about payments. Apple did not immediately respond to a request for comment. The Chinese communist regime is trying to contain the latest wave of COVID outbreaks without shutting down factories and the rest of its economy like it did when the pandemic started. As part of its zero COVID strategy, workers at some factories are made to live in dormitories and makeshift quarantine facilities on site. They aim to isolate every case and eliminate the virus entirely. In other countries around the world, governments are ending antivirus controls and relying on vaccinations and immunity from past infections to prevent deaths and illnesses. Thousands of workers from the Foxconn factory in Zhengzhou walked out earlier this month. Employees felt living conditions there were unsafe, so they left. They say some living in the dormitories had the virus. Police set up along main roads to block workers from leaving, violently pushing them and ordering them back to the factory. The dispute is causing major delays for Apple's new iPhone 14 models. The company has warned deliveries would be late. People in eight districts of Zhengzhou were told to stay home for five days beginning Thursday, except to buy food or get medical treatment. Daily mass testing was ordered in what the city calls a war of annihilation against the virus. Zhengzhou has around six and a half million residents. Other major cities across China are also increasing lockdown restrictions and seeing a flare-up of protests. In the capital, Beijing, neighborhoods are being closed off. Residents say the restrictions go beyond what should be allowed. The CCP says more than 250,000 COVID cases have been found in the past three weeks, and the daily average is increasing. Authorities reported China's first COVID-19 deaths in six months this week. But China's figures are considered unreliable. Many cases have gone unreported since the pandemic started. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And Foxconn has offered to pay newly recruited workers 10,000 yuan, or about $1,400, to quit and leave the factory. That's in an attempt to quell the protests. CNN reports that the Apple supplier made the offer yesterday in a text message sent from its human resources department to workers. The message urged workers to return to their dormitories on the campus. It also promised to pay them 8,000 yuan if they agreed to quit Foxconn and another 2,000 yuan if they board buses to leave the site altogether. And staying with China news, a former lawyer gave up the practice of law to start an advocacy organization. Now she helps prevent women in China from being forced to abort their baby girls. 
NTD's Arlene Richards has that story. In the late 1970s, China's rapid population growth was nearing 1 billion. Leader Deng Xiaoping seriously considered how to control the growth. The solution? A policy that would require couples to limit their families to one child. The one-child policy officially started in 1980. In the beginning, the Chinese Communist Party used various ways to enforce the law, such as charging a fine to couples that had a second child. But they said the decision to abort was voluntary. In the early 2000s, an American attorney found out it wasn't voluntary. And I represented a couple of Chinese refugees in their cases of political asylum. And the first one was forcibly sterilized under the one-child policy. So this was in the mid-90s. And she was literally lifted up and dragged out of her home and held down to a table. And they performed this abdominal operation with no anesthesia. And she was basically permanently disabled afterwards. And that was what showed me that the propaganda that the Chinese Communist Party was um, promulgating was false. She stopped practicing law to advocate for Chinese women. But then this happened. I met someone who really feels very passionate about this, this issue, and she is from China herself. And it's her network inside of China it's her friends inside of China that, that constitute our network. So when I saw the opportunity to actually help people inside of China, I jumped on it because it's very, very rare. In 2011, Reggie Littlejohn started Women's Rights Without Frontiers. So what we do in China is the network will find out about a woman who is being pressured by her mother-in-law or her husband or just by financial circumstances that are exacerbated by COVID to um, either abort or more often to abandon, give away her baby girl. And we will go to her and we say, congratulations on your baby girl. Girls are as good as boys. And um, we, uh, you know, we will offer you $25 a month to empower you to keep your daughter. Little John said her network has saved hundreds of babies this way. In 2016, faced with a rapidly aging population, the CCP allowed families to have two children. And now it's three children. But Little John said families are pressuring women to abort female babies due to cultural beliefs that favor boys. She said $25 is a lot of money for people living in the countryside, and the money convinces the family to keep the girls. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. If you have any t news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, Black Friday is just hours away. What can shoppers expect this year with record high inflation and deals lasting into next week? And in soccer news, the U.S. and England resume their brief but entertaining World Cup history on Friday. NTD's Dave Martin speaks with an author about the Americans' chances. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News.
Thousands of people lined the streets of New York City today to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. NTD's Jason Perry was there this morning. Hello everyone and happy Thanksgiving. I'm here in New York City at the 96th annual Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And as you can see behind me, Pikachu is on his way over here and there are people lined up on both sides of the street for as far as I can see. We're gonna to talk to some of them to see what they think of the parade so far. Oh, so exciting walking out and seeing Macy's and we're right in front of the turkey and all the performances. So we all love the holidays and being with family. So we're overjoyed. Um, and did you have a favorite balloon or boat or anything? Oh, uh, Blue's Clues. That is my childhood right there. <laughs> Blue's Clues. Oh, uh, I think Papa Smurf is so classic. You got to go with him. Okay. And my favorite is just when Santa comes. <laughs> we heard that Mariah Carey's coming, so that's my favorite one. Okay. Did you come also for Mariah Carey? Yeah. Okay. Did you have a favorite balloon? Um, probably. I like everything. Okay. <laughs> What's our favorite float? Which one do you like, buddy? Is it Chase? Paw Patrol? Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. And do you guys have any plans later for Thanksgiving? Yes. Hang out family. Be thankful. Try to enjoy your time together. Do you have plans for Thanksgiving? Uh, yes. And what are you going to do? I'm going to go home and eat Thanksgiving dinner with my family. Do you have plans for Thanksgiving? Yes. What will you do? Serve the turkey. You're going to serve it? Are you going to help cook? No, I can't. Awesome. <laughs> Anything you want to add? Okay. Um, happy Thanksgiving. Wishing everybody happy and healthiness. And cheers to a wonderful year. This year, the parade had 16 giant character balloons, 28 floats, and 500 pounds of glitter and confetti. The city will have their hands full trying to clean it up. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Jason Perry, NCD News, New York. And Black Friday is just hours away. Traditionally, the busiest shopping day of the year with the most bargains. But will record high inflation impact discounts this year? Let's take a look. Black Friday is no longer the day for holiday shopping. That's according to Ted Rossman, senior industry analyst at Bankrate. I think Black Friday has become more of a season-long theme and less about that single day. A lot of retailers rolled out Black Friday-type deals in early October, and I think it was an effort to elongate the season. The extended sales are spurred by inflation and excess inventory. Unlike the past two years, supply chain issues have mostly been resolved. Rossman says shoppers will be bombarded with deep discounts this holiday season, but they should be wary about how much they're actually saving. Clothes, toys, electronics, we're seeing deep discounts in those areas, maybe 30 or even 60% off, depending on the product and the retailer. I mean, you always have to be careful about when you hear those percentages, because like, is that discounted off an artificially high amount? I think this is where people need to be their own advocates and really research the best deals. He added that inflation has also caused consumers to change their shopping habits. Um, so I think people are very conscious of value. I think they're looking for bargains, but they're still spending. People want to spread out these purchases. They don't want to take on a ton of debt or expenses all at once. NTD asked shoppers in Chicago about their Black Friday shopping plans. Um, hopefully less because of inflation. Um, you know, just 
I guess try to give more, whether that's just volunteering more time um, towards projects versus um, actually going out and spending. I love shopping. I can't help it. Yeah, I have three jobs now, so I can spend a lot of money. Sales may last longer now, but many stores are opting to stay closed this year on the actual holiday, breaking the trend of opening on Thanksgiving night. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. We're less than 24 hours away from the U.S. playing England at the World Cup. Now, the Americans aren't expected to win as England's team, even though they haven't won the Cup since 1966, is still a powerhouse. But according to author Paul Banks, there are several reasons to follow this matchup, including the chance to show the country that invented the game that the U.S. is an up-and-comer on the international stage. The other reason it's very special is there's so there is a lot of history here. In 1950, the United States was really pretty small in terms of where they ranked in the world, and England was an international power. And the United States upset England in the 1950 World Cup and they ousted them from the tournament altogether. Then in 2010, they played to a 1-1 draw. Um, much like this season, they were in the same grouping, and that led to the United States winning the group and advancing to the knockout round. Banks wrote the book Transatlantic Passage about the popularity of the Premier League spreading to the United States. He points out that while the U.S. has yet to lose to England in their two World Cup matches, they're 0 for 8 in international friendlies with a number of shutout losses. I would say this is more about building a rivalry than it is a rivalry that's already present. There's definitely potential for it. And if we go in and, and spoil it for them, then absolutely, we're going to have a lot of acrimony. To do that, Banks says the U.S. is going to have to play much better than they did against Wales when they settled for a 1-1 tie. I don't like what happened in the second half. I felt the United States played to hold. I felt they played tentative. I played, I think, they played to hold the lead. They didn't play to go get that second goal and, and clinch it. That's going to be killer against England. Ultimately, Banks sees this as an uphill battle for the U.S., which boasts the second youngest squad in Qatar. For us to like beat them at their national game, it would be like, you know, it would be like us beating the Canadians in hockey at the Olympics for the gold medal. The U.S. and England kick off at 2 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, 14 NBA games are on for this evening, and that includes a matchup between the teams with the second and third best records in the league as the Bucks host the Cavs. And in hockey, 14 NHL games are on tonight as well, featuring the league's best team, the Boston Bruins, hosting the Carolina Hurricanes. And finally, for you NFL fans, Minnesota Vikings host the New England Patriots in the finale of the league's Thanksgiving triple header. And that's it for sports. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And thanks to you wherever you are watching. Our team here at NTD truly treasures this time with you. And we're thankful to have the chance to share these stories. And that's a wrap for now. I'm Stephanie Cox. Happy Thanksgiving and good night.